Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is August 6th, 2018. I am, I suppose somewhere in the middle of the pack when it comes to desk organization. Somewhere, that is, between a compulsive, whose desk is clean except for a small symmetrical pile of papers beside a cup of well-sharpened pencils, and a chaotic, whose workspace looks like the emptied-out contents of a half-dozen waste paper baskets. The problem, of course, is how to impose some organization on the mountain of things you really should read or think about. I mean, where do you even start? I used to have the same problem when it came to describing the US financial environment. However, some years ago, on the evening before a conference where I had to make no fewer than five separate presentations on financial landscape, I came down with an laryngitis. In desperation, I put together a quick one-pager with seven headings. Growth, jobs, profits, inflation, rates, risks, and opportunities. I then scribbled down a sentence or two in each topic and passed it out to the audience in case I was inaudible. I found that it actually worked. You could put everything important about the investment backdrop into one of those seven boxes. So far, so good for the domestic side. But what about the even more complex task of organizing an understanding of the international investment environment? That is more difficult, but it's manageable if you recognize two things at the outset. First, the analysis of most foreign countries can be done in the same way as the US if you just add two more boxes, trade and exchange rates. This is necessary because trade is much more important to countries outside the US. Second, 70% of non-US stocks are issued by companies domiciled in just four places, the Eurozone, Britain, Japan, and China. So for investors, a nine-box checklisting covering these three major economies can provide an adequate sketch of the international backdrop. So where are we now? Well, on growth, European growth has moderated from a solid 2.5% pace last year. However, last week's second quarter reading of 1.4% annualized GDP growth contained a sizable drag from falling inventories. Excluding this, and considering fairly healthy PMI indices for July, the Eurozone seems to be on a steady 2% growth track. UK GDP data, due out this Friday, is a little bit more downbeat, suggesting about a 1.5% growth pace, although this is not bad, considering Brexit uncertainty. Japan appears to be on a similar 1.5% growth track, provided this week's second quarter GDP report shows an expected bounce back from a first quarter slide. Meanwhile, China's growth may be slowing more than suggested by the official reading of 6.7% year-over-year real GDP growth in the second quarter. However, the government is unlikely to allow trade tensions or more stringent financial regulation to slow the economy too much. On jobs, Both the UK and Japan have very tight labour markets with unemployment rates of 4.1% and 2.4% respectively, limiting their ability to grow without significant labour force gains. By contrast, although the unemployment rate has fallen from 9% to 8.3% in the Eurozone over the past year, this still suggests plenty of available workers, particularly in Spain, Italy and France. The official unemployment rate in China in the second quarter was 3.8%, down from 4% a year earlier. However, China, like most other emerging markets, is not particularly constrained by a low unemployment rate, as its effective labour supply can still be boosted, to some extent, by the migration of workers from rural to urban areas. On profits, 
Earnings growth appears solid in the second quarter, with the stock 600, which contains both UK and Eurozone shares, showing 12% year-over-year growth in EPS, and the Japanese topics registering roughly 8% growth. Chinese earnings also appear to be growing at a double-digit pace, based on MSCI China data on earnings expectations. On inflation, the latest read from the Eurozone shows headline inflation of 2.1% year-over-year in July, boosted by higher energy prices. The ex-energy inflation rate of 1.4% is a little below the ECB's long-run target of below but close to 2%, but not by enough to warrant particular concern. UK CPI inflation of 2.4% is a little ahead of the government's 2% target, but again, close enough to make it an issue of little concern. The Bank of Japan, on the other hand, is deeply frustrated by an inability to raise inflation to its long-term target of 2%, with consumer prices up just 7 tenths of a percent year-over-year in June. China, like many emerging economies, is usually more worried about high inflation than low inflation, but this Thursday's report should show consumer inflation of roughly 2%, raising few concerns in either direction. On interest rates... At its July meeting, the ECB reiterated its intention to phase out quantitative easing by the end of this year. However, Mario Draghi also confirmed that the first move up in Europe's still negative overnight rates would likely not come until next summer. Last week, the Bank of Japan introduced a little more flexibility into its yield curve control policy, allowing the 10-year JGB to rise as far as 0.2%, but still making Japan's monetary policy the easiest in the developed world. Also last week, the Bank of England raised the bank rate from 0.5% to 0.75%, although they are likely to continue to tighten only very slowly due to Brexit uncertainty. Finally, Chinese monetary policy is more complicated, as the authorities use a multitude of tools to defend the yuan and dampen financial speculation at one extreme and still foster domestic consumption to offset potential trade war effects on the other. On trade, the Eurozone ran ran a strong current account surplus of 3.6% of GDP in the year that ended in May, while Japan's surplus for 2017 was 4% of GDP. China, which a decade ago had a mammoth trade surplus, has seen it whittled away to just 1.3% of GDP last year, and China actually ran a current account deficit in the first quarter. Meanwhile, the UK continues to run a very significant trade deficit equal to 3.4% of GDP in the first quarter, although this has narrowed somewhat in recent quarters. On currency, over the past year, the euro, yen, yuan, and sterling have actually been quite stable relative to each other. A bout of dollar weakness in April boosted all of them relative to the greenback in April. But this has still since been reversed, leaving dollar exchange rates roughly unchanged from a year ago. On risks, China, Japan, the eurozone, and the United Kingdom all depend on exports more than the US, and all will be hurt in an escalated trade war. In addition, the UK is running out of time to negotiate the terms of its divorce from the European Union, with a worst-case scenario of an exit on March 29th of next year with no agreement. The European Union itself needs to deal with the UK's exit and the implications of a new populist government in the slow-growing and highly indebted Italy. Japan is, of course, far more indebted than any of the other major economies in its perennial fiscal cure of raising the sales tax, now scheduled for October 2019, could trigger a slowdown, as similar hikes have done before. On opportunities, international fixed income generally looks less attractive uh, than in the U.S. because of lower long-term interest rates in the U.K., Europe, and Japan, and the reality that other developed country central banks are much earlier in their tightening cycles than the Fed. However, the existence of much lower overnight rates overseas should allow U.S. investors to lock, lock in gains from hedging their currency exposure on developed country fixed income. Meanwhile, on equities, as of July 31st, the Acqui XUS stock index was selling at 13 percent 
two times future earnings, 20% below the S&P 500's P.E. ratio of 16.5 times. This is significantly cheaper than the 10% discount to U.S. stocks seen over the past 20 years. In addition, the ex-U.S. stock index had a dividend yield of 3.3%, 64% above the yield in the S&P 500. In summary, a nine-box checklist of the international financial backdrop generally shows economies with moderate economic growth, solid profit growth, steady inflation, low interest rates, and stable currencies. Unemployment is low except in Europe, where it is falling steadily. Europe and Japan have significant trade surpluses, while the UK runs a big trade deficit and China is close to balance. All of these economies face challenges. However, from an investment perspective, international stocks still seem attractive, given relatively cheap valuations. When it comes to tidying an office, many ask, what's the point? The point, of course, is that when you organize your desk, it's easy to find something valuable that you were searching for. With few underpriced assets available in domestic markets, American investors are looking for sources of stronger returns in the long run. A good place to start is to see the opportunity in international equities. And a good way to see it clearly is by organizing the international desk. Well, that's it for this week. I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks, but in my absence, my good friend and colleague David Leibovitz will be recording these notes, so please tune in. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only, and as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.